Welcome to Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Today we are talking about the work of chaplains with Norris Burks, author, speaker, and chaplain. Norris began his chaplain career with both the active duty Air Force and Air National Guard until his retirement in 2014. Concurrent to his military service, he served as a board certified healthcare chaplain at Sutter Memorial, Kaiser, Methodist, and Mather uh, VA Hospital. Highlighting his chaplain work, Norris writes a spirituality column syndicated in 35 papers nationwide. He recently published a book, Thriving Beyond Surviving, with the best of his news newspaper columns. And he has returned to part-time work with Hospice of the Foothills in Grass Valley. Welcome, Norris. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to be here, Lori. Thank you. Well, we're talking about chaplains today. And so I thought the first question I'll ask you is what is a chaplain and what do they do? Great question. Well, chaplains are really in uh, three different fields, mostly healthcare, military, and uh, prison chaplains. And in, in prison and hospitals, they tend to be divided into Protestant and Catholic chaplains, but in healthcare, uh, our, uh, as in healthcare, as I've served in for this many years, we are, uh, we are generic chaplains. We are um, here at Hospice of the Foothills, we call them spiritual counselors. So that means uh, as a chaplain, I, as a spiritual counselor, I'm called to do all kinds of work, maybe work that doesn't necessarily conform to my background as a Christian, but they, for people who are say Buddhists, or even for people who have no faith, uh, no organized faith, uh, I'm called to be at their bedside. And you know what, I'm gonna say the word play by their rules, not mine. So yeah, yeah. Well, you've had, I think that's, that's because I was also gonna ask, do you have to be a minister or a priest? And it sounds like you do not. Well, you have to be certified by some uh, ordained, certified by some kind of uh, uh, religious or faith kind of board. In, in other words, you know, you need to be able to show your employer that, hey, there's some people who think you can do this work, you know, so. Well, you've had a long, varied career as chaplain. What drew you to this kind of work? Is it, is it a calling for you? It was. Uh, I, I uh, was a pastor for much like my father for the first seven years of my life till I turned about 32 or, or so. And uh, it was really a trial by fire. Um, I was serving in the reserves, the, 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 the reserves, Air Force reserves, and they had trained me up in um, mass casualty. And in 1990, I was sitting in my church office in Stockton, California, and uh, reports came over the radio that uh, a man had let loose with a machine gun or, or with an automatic weapon at, uh, at an elementary school, Cleveland Elementary in Stockton. And uh, I responded to that scene uh, uh, as, as, as a pastor, but as somewhat of a chaplain because I knew how to respond. I'd been trained by the Air Force how to respond to the command post. And so I came in and, and turned out I was only one of two pastors that responded that day to the scene and I was pulled into a room not much bigger than the one I'm in now and uh, might be a room by you know 15 by 15 
where I met parents one by one to tell them that their child had, was killed by this, uh, by this um, mentally ill man, I think. And so um, it was shortly after that that I learned really that uh, I wanted to go into training to become a chaplain, to be, to be on scene in the, in, in the midst of, to walk with the wounded, to be in the midst of death and dying. So I went to UC Davis uh, for a one-year internship full-time, uh, 40 hours a week for a year uh, to, to train how to do chaplaincy. And so, yeah. Well, you've worked all around the world for military and a variety of hospitals and now hospice. Uh, what are some of the similarities in working with all these different people and maybe some of the differences now that right. you're in hospice? Right. As an Air Force chaplain, particularly unique to the Air Force, we are what we call parish, uh, parish chaplains. In other words, I, I preached every Sunday just a lot like I, I did in my church. And the only difference is, you know, you can't, as a, as, an, as, an, as a military chaplain, you can't talk from the pulpit about ideas that are specific to your faith group. Well, I'm Baptist, so there's really not really anything too peculiar about them. But, so in other words, I, so I preached uh, every Sunday uh, while I was on active duty, or most every Sunday. And um, so a lot like a pastor, I did vacation Bible school and all the, all the things that came I, and, and occasionally I get a phone call and say, oh, you're going to Saudi Arabia. So that's different than a pastor. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, it's different. But um, I, I recall uh, one day when I was on uh, active duty, we were handed these, uh, we were in a staff meeting as chaplains, and we were handed these prayers uh, from different faith groups, prayers to pray with people if they were dying. And the chaplain sitting next to me, hey, he said, there's a there's a Muslim prayer on here. I can't pray a Muslim prayer, and to which I asked him, I'm not sure what you're doing as a chaplain then if you can't if you can't do that. So that really, but that really is the difference between say a healthcare chaplain and a military chaplain. We are not we are not called to to be a representative of our faith group. Uh, in another instance, in the hospital at UC Davis, I was called to the um, the labor, not labor and delivery, but the, the, the NICU, the neonatal ICU to baptize a, a baby that had just died. But it was my first week of training. And I told my, I told my supervisor, I'm a Baptist. I don't baptize babies. We don't do that. <laughs> and so he said, well, you're a chaplain now. <laughs> and so, okay, I'm starting to get this. And uh, so, um, but I refused to go. I refused to go, and another chaplain went. And when she came back and explained to us what a privilege and what a what a privilege it was to be there with parents um, uh, in that last moment of life with their child, um, I I was converted. I said, "Well, that's where I want to be. That's where I'm supposed to be." So, so am I hearing yeah. that as a chaplain, it's it's holding an even bigger picture than holding it. Right, it's holding a bigger picture. I I tell people as a chaplain, this is a little this is a little uh, liturgy I get, not liturgy, but a little saying I ditty I guess. I don't know. As a chaplain, as a, as a healthcare chaplain, I have helped 
taped crystals around people's wrists. I put garlic under the bed. I turned the bed in a healing direct, a feng shui direction. I, I've, I put a healing blanket on the bed. I've taken off my shoes. I burned incense. I put a Quran on the, uh, on the forehead of a dying child. I have provided water to people so they could spit it on their, on their loved ones in a ritual from their, uh, from their religion. I have done all these things and on Sunday I'm a Baptist. Meaning this, so it doesn't matter what I am when I'm at the bedside of a patient. So I'm just returning to this morning from a visit with a patient. He taught me some Buddhist chants, and I'm not sure I've ever done a lot of Buddhist chants, but uh, I provided a placenta to be buried and bones to be burned, and and all in the name of their faith group. So, yeah. well, you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my t- guest today is Norris Burks, author, speaker and chaplain, talking about what it's like to to do the work of a chaplain. And Norris, you talk with people who are facing their mortalities and with their families, and these can be such challenging conversations for loved ones. What do you suggest for friends and family who are having a tough time being with their loved ones and wanting to be in deep conversation about the death that is Mm -hmm. forthcoming? Yes, that's pending. Well, the first thing I say is one has to learn to keep their mouth shut. <laughs> and that's such a hard, we are not comfortable with silence. We're not comfortable with, with we want to say things, we want to fix things. And, and even we want to, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I hate this that we do sometimes, we, we want to try to learn the details so that we can make sure that doesn't happen to us. Example, so I lost my brother um, 30 days ago about to COVID. And uh, recently I shared that with somebody and their first, their first question was, but he had underlying conditions, didn't he? And so that, was, that certainly probably made that person feel better. He wasn't afraid of, of dying from COVID because he didn't have any underlying conditions. So we tend to do that. We tend to say to people, uh, uh, we, we tend to look for the reasons that they're dying because it explains why we're not going to die. But in fact, we probably are going to die. <laughs> so, but uh, the story I give to people most often, or the example is early in my chaplaincy, but I really learned the lesson well. I, I was walking down a busy hallway in the hospital and noticed a, an empty waiting room, but there was two people in that waiting room. There was a nurse I recognized and a patient, and the nurse waved me into the into the waiting room. Come in here, come in here. And she whispered in my ear that she said, this lady's mother is, is literally dying on the operating table um, due to one of our mistakes, due to the surgeon, surgical mistake, who's dying on the, she said, um, she said, well, could you stay here with her? I said, sure. And she and the nurse turned to the patient and uh, the, 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 the visitor, I guess, and said, the chaplain's here and he's got some things he wants to tell you. <laughs> and so, so and then she, she made a quick exit back for the, uh, to the operating room. And um, I sat down next to her and I, and I put my, just my fingers just brushed on her kneecap. And I said, you and I both know that there's nothing I can say to make this moment better. But I wonder if you can, if you'll allow me to sit here while your mother, and I took a gulp of breath, while your mother dies. 
And there was a long silence, a silence I was not comfortable with. <laughs> and she finally said, yes, you can stay. So the first thing I, the first thing, and it's just such the number one thing is just silence, be present. Just, just show your, show your ability to, to let that person say something. And uh, so I, I, I had another patient who was just swearing and, and swearing and swearing. And when I left the room, I, I, I mean, I stayed there for a while. And when I left the room, I told the nurse outside that he was swearing. And she said, did you tell him that's not the way to talk around a chaplain? I said, no, ma'am. I, I said, I thought that was an excellent prayer. In other words, I was available to what he was feeling at the time. So, well, I um, appreciate yeah. what you're saying, Norris. And I think it's also helpful to any of us who have been in that uncomfortable position where we love somebody and they're dying and we want to be with them, but we don't know what to say. And what I'm hearing you say is we don't need to say anything. We just need yeah. to be able to be present with them. So beyond, you know, and you can edit this out, I guess. Sometimes I just tell people, you got to shut the hell up. <laughs> but if you, once you do that, once, once people trust you with the silence, then they might trust you with a few words. And and the most easiest words, the easiest thing to do, it's just such a, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a, maybe it's just easy to say, tell me about what you remember about your best times with this, with your loved one. Let them talk. Tell me what, what's it like um, to be married 50 years? What must, must be very, you know, what was that like? And so you get them to talk and it's so, and it's the same by the way, it's the same question that I, when people say, well, you, you're a chaplain, you must have to know all religions. No, I have to know how to listen. <laughs> I have to, you know, just like with this patient I just saw, hey, teach me some of your, you said Buddhist chants were important, teach me some of those. You know, he doesn't say to me, I thought you were a chaplain, you're supposed to know them. <laughs> He's just, no, they want to teach you. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. So just yeah. listening and, and asking. Yeah. Uh, do you ever find that people are reluctant to have a visit from a chaplain? They are, and we're trying to change that, I think, with some of our language. Again, here at Hospice of the Foothills, we call ourselves spiritual counselors. Well, I'm an old dog, and it's been hard to teach me that new trick. But, uh, uh, but we try to open it up by saying we're not, we're not there. I, I have a little thing I say to patients. I'm not here to convert you, change your mind, or baptize you. And they laugh at baptize. You know, was, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm here to talk about what you want to talk about. And so... Um, they are, and the word, because the word chaplain, I, I, I get a little upset sometimes. Sometimes you can, uh, I, I'm not a chaplain just because I bought the jacket, is what I tell <laughs> And I know that's kind of smart, I like. But in other words, there are people who are volunteers for their church, their community, and they, and they have a sign on their, they, they, they wear a sign or a jacket that says they're chaplain. But I'm a chaplain, I'm a, we call us, I'm a part of a professional community. Um, uh, so of chaplains or, or I like the word career chaplains. In other words, I've been, I, I've had jobs, chaplain jobs all my life. I haven't just uh, volunteered well, and, here and there. So. And obviously what yeah. you've shared so far is required a lot of training, a lot of experience yes. to, to do, to be able to do that and to lead a program. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any stories of people who have engaged in a conversation with you as in your role as chaplain, who were very reluctant, but who later found it easier to open up? 
They, 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 I, I definitely have several stories. I, I have, uh, uh, when I walked into the uh, hospital room of a patient and I, and, uh, I said, hello, I'm, I'm Chaplain Norris. And he said, get the hell out of here. I don't believe in chaplains. <laughs> and I just, I just chuckled. I said, well, you know, I, you got to believe in me because I'm here. <laughs> I said, but I don't, I don't need to be religious while I'm here. I said, do you, do you just want to talk? And he was, like, oh, he's 80 years old or something. And, and uh, he, was, he was a little feisty, but, but he let me sit down and he let me talk or listen really. And, and we got to be, you know, great friends. And, uh, um, I, I used to visit one of my areas at Sutter. I used to visit in the uh, the uh, dialysis units, and there you just strike up conversation with some pretty healthy people, except they're there for dialysis. And so I had many people at first would say, "Oh, I don't know what a chaplain's doing in here. I'm not dying." You know, they would always say, "I'm not dying." And I said, "Well, I mean, can we just can we just talk? Can we just listen to what it's like to be have a chronic healthcare problem?" and and occasionally some would face their dying days and, and do, and I was there. So they would want to talk after they get to know you. So. Well, as a, uh, with your conversations as chaplain, do, do they have to be serious? Is there room to be lighthearted? Right. Right. There, there is. Um, I mean, everybody sort of brings, every chaplain brings in their different sense of humor. I've been told I have a, pretty good sense of humor. And so I like funny stories. I like people to tell their stories, but that's the, that's how I, well, that's my, why I try to introduce myself by saying, I'm not here to baptize you or change your mind or anything. So uh, uh, we do get to laughing about, I remember this, this one lady that I was just outside of her room in the ICU and I heard her, 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 her and her friends are just tearing up laughing and and I, I looked at my I looked at my charting notes. And I said, "This lady's she's terminal." What, what's uh, and so uh, I I walked in her room. I said, "I want a part of this party." And st- instead of walking in with that dower, I'm the chaplain, and you're going to die. <laughs> uh, I said, "I want to be a part of this party. I want to celebrate your life with you." And so uh, there's yeah there's there's a lot of. <laughs> It's a lot of funny stories, particularly sometimes in their in their assumptions about what a chaplain is. So, yeah. yeah. You're listening to Embracing the Journey on KBMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. My guest is Norris Burks, author, speaker, and chaplain, and currently chaplain with Hospice of the Foothills. Well, what brought you out of retirement, Norris, uh, and a long, diverse career as chaplain to take on this role again at Hospice of the Foothills? Well, we moved out of the Sacramento area about three years ago, and um, I'm supposed to be retired, and and uh, joining the check of the month club is what I call re- retirement pensions. From so, um, and I'm sitting up in my I'm sitting in my office uh, or my my room at, at the house, and. I yell downstairs to my wife, hey, I think I found a job. And she's like, ah, I've been on my computer. Why, why, what brought me out of retirement? Um, I think what brings a lot of people out of retirement is just that they, they want something meaningful. They, they discover that uh, even though maybe their paycheck, retirement check is okay, what about their satisfaction in life? And, 
And so I've, I've even been asked in interviews before, do you just want an interview? Or do you, do you, do you want to return to chaplaincy just so you can write stories? And I say, well, no, yeah, no, sort of, kind of, sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, stories are real important to me. So to be a part of the story of both the community and, and um, to be a part of people's lives is a real honor to, to be there when somebody invites you in at such a, a stranger in at such a sacred time. It's a real honor. It's a real honor. So. And I did mention at the beginning of the show that you're a syndicated columnist. You write a spiritual yes. column. Yes. Yes. And so do you, is that a real serious column? No, it's <laughs> put you on my mailing list. No, I, I, about once a month, I write a funny, try to write a funny column, but, but it is a serious, I try to talk about uh, just every, every aspect of, of uh, spirituality because I think spiritual questions are contained in every aspect of our life. Because I've been asked, well, what do you just only write about spiritual things? Yeah, which means everything. I write about, I've, I've had readers write me back, say, stay in your lane. You're supposed to be a chaplain. You know, I'm like, oh, but, but life is my lane. So, um, so anyway, but I started, I started writing it about 20 years ago, just out of my experiences as a chaplain. And, and it's, it's been pretty, you know, it's been successful. So, yeah. Well, one of the things that you clearly do so well is, is be able, you're able to talk to people. And um, I'm sure that, that there are folks who are listening that will have the opportunity to chat with you as a chaplain. But for those of us who have either a serious illness ourselves, or we do have someone in our life who has a terminal illness, uh, what are maybe some, like three things that we should do or three things we should make sure we don't do uh, so that we can keep those relationships alive and not avoid these people we love because of our own emotions. I have a couple of questions I ask people and I think you can ask the same thing too, uh, to someone with a terminal illness. What do you, what do you believe is after this? You know, sometimes people will say, I, there's nothing after I flat believe there's nothing after this. Okay, so you know what's the nothing going to be like, or what's you know still you 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 get them to help you you get them to both acknowledge that they're dying and more importantly um, it shows them that you're not afraid to talk about dying. So by saying what what do you think is after this is oh you know certainly a lot better than thinking saying what's going to happen after you die. <laughs> you know like what is it. Are you looking for my money after I die? <laughs> no, what, 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 what happens after this life? So it's, it's one of the questions I get people to use to open up. Um, I have a long list of things that I would say uh, don't uh, do, but... Uh, well, let's but, hear those but, too, because well, those are helpful at, at to the hear. Same, at the same time, you know, sometimes I hesitate to say them because... This is what people are most afraid of. They're afraid they're going to stumble onto one of these things that I'm not supposed to do. But I would assure your listeners that you will do well if you will think not in terms of I, but in terms of him, them. I mean, I have actually heard people say, I, I know how you feel. I, I lost a dog. I know it's not the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. So shut the hell up. <laughs> so uh, it's not so... Uh, or I, you know, or I, I have someone I'm losing too. And so again, sort of silence is, is the best thing. And, and, um, and 
this may sound crazy from a chaplain, but don't push the religion button right away. Don't, don't say, you know, God has a better place for them. I mean, I lost my brother last month, as I said, and, you know, those folks that immediately said, but you know, he's gone to heaven. Yes, I do. But today isn't the day I want to hear about heaven. And today is the day I, I, I want someone uh, to, to just put their arm around my shoulders and say, wow, that's a, that's a huge thing that you just lost. And, and so uh, in the month before that, I lost my best friend of 40 years, which is the, which is the brother you choose. So uh, it's, it's, so I just try to tell people, don't push the religion button right away. Don't talk about how you, how you feel. Get them to talk about how they feel when you, when you ask them, well, well, you know, what's been the best? Another question is to ask, what, what kinds, what do you feel will be some of your legacy? What, what will people, what do you want people to remember about you? And, uh, and then I, and then I often ask people, and this is kind of a basic question, but I find people like to talk about their travels, where they've been, because I think they're, they're engaged in the idea that they are now on a new journey, as, as your podcast is a journey. And so I, I ask people about their travels and what they learned. And, and uh, oftentimes, sometimes I'll say that I haven't traveled anywhere. And I say, then, then I ask them, final question, then I ask them about their God spot. <laughs> God, that's what I call a God spot. It's the place that, you know, you go to, uh, to find some a peace. Uh, for me, when I lived in the Sacramento area, there was a lake nearby, ducks, and, and, uh, and just a nice green space. And so that's where I go for my God spot. Sometimes my wife says, put the boy near water and he calms down. So uh, I try to find water and, yeah. So you can get somebody who you love, who's who's dying, just to talk about the place that they feel best when mm-hmm. they've gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I'm hearing from you, Norris, that it it doesn't have to be hard. Right. You know, listening is really is the big deal, and asking a few mm-hmm. questions, you know, what mm-hmm. they think death mm-hmm. is, where what they think will be next. Um, mm-hmm and uh, what makes them happy or, or what's made them happy so that, that all of us can step into this and even if we're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and we just have a, a few moments left, but I know as chaplain, you probably also speak with family members and not just yes. people who are dying, but people who are who's losing a family members. And so is, is that something that people can ask of you if, if, if uh, right. you are seeing if, you, if as part of the hospice family, right? As part, we, as a matter of fact, I'm going on a visit today. Uh, a condolence visit to to see uh, people after they've lost someone. So it gives them a chance to talk about them. And again, some of the the, the biggest I love those visits because really people are ready to tell the the story of their loved one. So um, I find as people have offered me condolences here at Hospice of the Fiddles about my brother's passing, I want to tell them a story. It's just so natural. Like, well, let me tell you about my brother. The time he shot an arrow in the air and where it landed, he did not care. And it landed about two feet from me. So, <laughs> you know, that's so a story we like to remember. 
and uh, just people want to keep their loved ones alive. And and uh, I I tell people also if you're trying to console people, uh, if you keep a calendar like I do on my phone, I will put on my phone that the the uh, my best my, a good friend of mine lost his daughter last year, so I have it on my calendar that it comes up every year so that I can call him and make sure that I I remember. So because that first year is the hardest, the holidays that my best friend who died just missed the election and he wanted to be there. So, I mean, I had to talk to his wife about this would have been a great day for him. He would have liked that. So, um, yeah. Well, Norris, thank you so much. I think yeah. you opened our eyes to more what a, a chaplain does. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. I've been talking with Norris Burks, author, speaker, and chaplain on Embracing the Journey on KVMR. You can tune in and listen to Embracing the Journey the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. Thank you to our engineer, Ralph Henson, and to Jeff Wright for our theme music.